Thursday, August 17th, 2023. Thank you for joining me today. Now, that opening wasn't a mistake. Today, I'm going to be doing two shows. I'm determined to do so. I wanted to start today. I was planning on trying to include all of this into one big show, and I figured that would be far too long, even for those that like the long shows. So I split this off to start, since it's not just about focusing on the story that everybody seems to focus on, but there, as I've been covering this, what's been going on in Maui, with every day that develops, there's more and more information. And I'm not talking about the subjective conjecture reporting that we can't verify kind of stuff. I'm talking about the things that we can see that are without question, something's going wrong, something's happening, whether that's malfeasance or whether there's something larger. And it just continues to snowball. I keep seeing more and more that I'm, I'm blown away by. So I wanted, to do, I wanted to do, as I titled, a Maui update today. So we're going to focus on just Maui in this show. It will be tagged under the daily wrap-up, under all the everywhere else you look for it. But technically, I'm just doing this as a sideshow update for Maui. And there's some pretty ridiculous things that I found. And t- the show we'll be doing later today, which I'll have to set up afterwards, so it won't be directly after this show, is going to be focused on a lot of other things. The Azov movement, there's a, a, po- a point on that I want to get into. COVID-19, a lot of other different things. I always say that it's more of a broad point about the vaccinations, and it's just kind of the general COVID topic. To me, the COVID-19 topic is sort of like a moniker for just the, the illusion that everything was underneath all of that. But today... We're going to talk about, or in this first video of today, we're going to talk about Maui and the updates. And there's some pretty incredible things. W- one thing I'll say right at the gate, which we'll get to, at, uh, you know, this shouldn't be a long show, incredibly long, but toward the latter part of this, which is in regard to the directed energy weapon point. Now, I'm still maintaining my opinion. That I, I, I can't, I don't see any evidence other than the suspicious, you know, the way the fires burned or the different anomalies we see. That, those are evidence. That's not proof. Other than the anomalies we can see, I so far have not seen any definitive proof that directed energy weapons were used or that the location that we have discovered on Maui was part of that. Nonetheless, I found it pretty incredible, as we pointed out more than once, I'll revisit that today, that we did find a United States Air Force research laboratory, the, 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 the ARL, uh, AFRL is the acronym, and then there's the supercomputing site part of this, as well as the, the observatory. But as you find out when you dig into the story, as directly stated by the doc, Dr. Hammett that ran this location, that these are directed energy weapon installations, both for obser- observation and, and surveillance, as well as weapons. And that's his direct statement. He says verbatim, they delivered the first ever directed energy weapon to the, to the Air Force. And then he talks about a, a system with the acronym THOR that they built in-house and is operational. I thought that was pretty interesting. Now, again, that could just be an interesting coincidence. As, as always, we don't like to talk about coincidences, but it's interesting to see. But on top of that, I found out, and I'll, I'll shout out the person I found, who found this online, as so, many, so few do today, that the Space Force had, has, as of Octo- August 11th, I believe, if I have it correctly in my head, we'll get to it in a minute, started their very first unit in regard to defense, and offense, and they use directed energy weapons. I found that kind of interesting. Now, it's not just about the fact that it exists, but the fact that it became operational during this, which tells me at the very least, that means they had to have tested some of these operations before this went online. So another possible anomaly, could that have been an overlap? Could it? Of course it could have. Now, when I say that, it just means that it's possible. One in a billion is possible. So that means as being objective, we have to ask, could that have been one of these possibilities? And the answer is yes. Even if it's a very slim, uh, you know, just grasping at straws possibility, it's still a possibility. 
So interesting to me that this is during all of this being comes operational. And I wonder where they might have tested this and whether it could have been something that was done. And these are just questions that we shouldn't be afraid to ask because somebody yells the term conspiracy theory. But we're also going to go over a lot of the different anomalies that you've been seeing. And I'll play some great videos from Grace at the end of this because she's always doing a great job kind of encapsulating all of this. But the different things about people being blocked from leaving in the first place, of blocking supplies. I mean, again, these are things that are important regardless of what bigger conspiracy might have taken place. And I don't mean that in the pejorative term. Conspiracy, as in powerful people conspiring to do things again at your, at your expense for their benefit. That's a real thing. It's not a not dismissive term as a you know, genuine conspiracy. But those things aside... There's crimes that have already taken place or at the very least malfeasance where people should be held accountable for. So we need to make sure we see those things and then on top ask whether they're connected to something else, which I mean, honestly, my gut is telling me that there is something bigger than just, oops, we kind of screwed up. I'm, I just that never sits well for me. Never. So let's go through this today in hopefully not too long of a period of time to show you what we're seeing. Now, these are just some of the shows we've already done. If you want to check out the previous work, we actually started with this show here which is where I discovered this location that I'll show you in a minute. Were directed energy weapons used in Maui. Let's take a look at what we can prove. Now, of course, at the end of that show, my decision was that I don't think we can prove that. And I don't see any real definitive evidence that it was. It's certainly a possibility. And there's some interesting anom anomalies in there. We interviewed Shelby Thompson from Maui, a co-founder of Unjected. And there's some really, you know, and her, her words and what they're seeing really resonated with a lot of people. And I think it's because people are getting very limited and distorted information, even from people that are feigning to be independent when they're coming from a partisan perspective, as you all know well, which is likely why you're here. And then, of course, we just recently finished with a show called Something is Very Wrong with the Maui Fires, again, kind of encapsulating some of these bigger concerns. But then we also covered the FDA, which, again, is just falling under the radar, even though a lot of large people are pointing at that point. Claims that cannot be held accountable for misinformation or the bigger point you're hearing from that interview or hearing was that the FDA said, yes, doctors can prescribe ivermectin off label. And that just kind of fell by the wayside. It's, Wait a minute. Weren't people literally fired and arrested? Yeah, but they admitted that wasn't allowed. They were allowed to do so. But the bigger point I felt, because we should have already known that, that they literally on the record said the FDA can't be held accountable if they say something that is incorrect. That's crazy to me. But make sure you watch this because I found that part to be really important. But so those, if you want to watch the previous work, go ahead and do that. I recommend you do. There's a lot of important stuff there. But let's start with one of the things that really stood out to me the last couple of days as a, re a real big concern, but also an interesting contradiction, which seems to happen all the time. I'm going to give you an overlap from East Palestine as we get into what they're saying today about the risk, which, by the way, I told you was coming. That was just my opinion. That I'm like, they're going to, there's going to come, they're going to say, what about all the things that have burned and it's dangerous, right? As they go, don't talk about East Palestine, but we're going to assume there's a danger here based on the same reasons. Now, I'm not saying that's not something that's not real. I, I genuinely, that's, of course it is. Plastics burn and things happen, but using that as an excuse to stop people from going back into the area, that's pretty interesting to me. But we'll get to that in a minute. The point though, is that we're hearing all this conversation about property land grabs, which it's, that's not even up for debate. There are people that are nipping at the heels of people right now who are still trying to find their dead family members. That is a real thing. And that's disgusting. I mean, my point before is I, gu I guarantee that would have happened either way. No matter what ultimately was the cause, you're going to have these slimy realtors that just want to make a buck off people's suffering. A lot like a lot of the independent and corporate media today doing the same by sharing fake information around the story. And it's disgusting. And they, and they're, but they're, it would have happened either way because these people in real estate doing this a lot of times are real slimy. 
but especially when you realize that this likely, and I do say likely, in my opinion, tied to some bigger agenda, whether that's a 2030 thing, a great reset thing, or just some effort to take land from people that they've been trying to take for decades. Just remember that this goes well before the great reset focus. This has been people have been trying to take this land from people specifically in Lahaina for a really long time. And that goes well outside of Maui too, guys. I mean, you talk, you just, just take a moment outside of this topic one time and look into all of this stuff going back 20 years, whether we're on Oahu or any other location. It's, it's unbelievable. And I'll make a point about this toward the end, that it seems it's kind of staggering to me that people don't recognize that this is an illegal occupation. It's like it blows me away how uninformed we are of our own history in this country. Like people going, breaking news, it turns out that they don't even have a deed for the land. It's like... Did you miss school? I mean, that's not even something that's secret. We know that this was an occupation, an acquisition of the area without any... It was during colonial times, if you want to call it that. Still happening today with a different narrative. But it's interesting that that's somehow like a new thing and people are kind of folding it in with this narrative, like which is certainly possible. But anyway, we'll get to that in the end. I find it just interesting that all of these very static things that we should have always known are kind of like popping up as new information. But the Hawaii governor, and this is from August 14th, seeks moratorium. On property sales. Now, remember this from the, the COVID era time frame with the moratorium on, on you know, mortgages and because people couldn't make money. And yet, what happened? Do you remember? All the fancy high-minded talk about how we have to protect everybody because they can't work didn't do anything. And people lost their homes, their businesses. People, I mean, all these same realtor, real, real, realtor, real estate sharks stepped in and just said, well, too bad. You owe me money even though they would have likely been able to get something from the government. But of course, that's not the point. The point is that they're human beings who are knowingly kicking people on the curb at a time when nobody has an ability to make money, or a lot of time people didn't. So now, in the same interesting context, they're stepping in and saying, he was claiming he wants to put a moratorium on property sales. Now, doesn't that immediately make you feel the wrong way also? Like, I'm not, the idea that they would try to take this land away from the people that own it because of, X, Y, and Z, which is also part of what's happening, is a big deal. Nobody should be okay with that no matter what. But on the other side of things, shouldn't they be allowed to sell their land if they want to? I mean, we, nobody, it's, I mean, I get why there's this momentum to say, don't do it no matter what, because there's people trying to grab it. I get that. But at the same time, we don't have the right to tell people they can't do that if they want to. It's their property. So it's equally concerning to me to see this come on the other side of it. And what that might mean, because there's ways to abuse that, too, because there are people right now that are clearly suffering. And, yes, they're being offered pennies in the dollar for their land, but some of them might just need that or want that. That's up to them to decide. But I get why there should be something else coming. People should gain support from, you know, and there's a lot of ways you could look at how people can be supported, especially from the government, seeing as how people pay taxes far more than they ever should ever in their lifetime, maybe some of that can go to help these people. Maybe we should shave off $100 billion going to Ukraine and maybe help these people that need help. No, that's not fair, or whatever mantra we're hearing. Now, here's what it says. Governor Josh Green vowed Monday not to let out-of-state buyers exploit land in devastated Lahaina for development at the expense of local community. Well, here's what's interesting, the way he's saying that. Out-of-state buyers. Okay, what about Oprah, right? What about Zuckerberg? What about... Bezos, you know, the people that are really actually nipping at the butt, nipping at the heels of these people. They're all technically in-state buyers, if you want to look at it that way. So really what he's saying is just that they don't, you know, we want to, I mean, the way I perceive this is not allow people that are existing, you know, some realtor from California to be like, hey, I want to buy that land. But is that really what we're worried about? 
in some sense, we're worried about just people taking advantage. But I think what everybody at the core is worried about is a larger government, like great reset, 2030 agenda minded concept here. And that would include people like the people that are currently there, the people that are already beginning this effort or the government themselves, which is a point we'll get into. Or he literally says in the record that he wants the government to take some of this land. Again, that's the point, even though he stays on the 14th about a moratorium of sales. Well, it's not a sale when the government takes it from you. You see the point? So they love to say things that make it look like they're on your side. Now, maybe he is. You guys decide for yourself. But the way he said that is very concerning to me, especially said at the expense of the local community. Well, what if they perceive the whatever goes on at the benefit of all the community? Maybe slightly at the expense of the people who own that individual property, but the local community will benefit from the land project we want to build. They see how they it's all perception and the way that they frame it. The comments addressed local fears that speculators will swoop in and buy hotels and other buildings in the historic coastal town that was left in ash and wasteland by wildfires last week. Well, you know, they have to agree to sell their land unless there's some kind of weird action being taken by the government or some other illegal action being taken. Right. So. It's almost like you're saying you're not allowed to sell to anybody that might want to buy your land unless you do it through us for the community benefit, right? Am I wrong in reading it somehow? Like I'm reading between the lines, clearly, but that's how I feel this is going to go. Quote, I've actually reached out to our attorney general to explore options to do a moratorium on these sales. That I'm not okay with. That means that you wouldn't be allowed to sell your land unless the government says you can. How is that any different? It says, and this is Green, the, the governor, saying this at a press conference. Now, it says, moreover, I would caution people that it's going to be ver- a very long time before any growth or housing can be built. So now, even if you think it's limited, momentary, the government has control over this land. If you're not allowed to go back right now in your property and do what you want with your property, which, by the way, I understand only just after five days, a week plus, people are just now being allowed to go back to some of this territory. Why? Well, I'll get into what their arguments are. Well, it's dangerous. Well, they, don't, they sure don't care about people in, in Ohio. So it's very interesting that they seem to care here and not over there, which is usually the lie, you know, your foreign policy government telling we care about the people over there, which we also have an interest in. What about Yemen? What about Palestine? What about everybody else? Oh, we don't care about them. We care about them because they have oil. They have gold. They have what we need. So you don't really care about them then. Well, that's kind of how I feel this goes. They're in control. It says they can be so it says you will be pretty, pretty poorly informed if you try to steal the land for from our people and then build here. Well, I'll tell you what, Governor, your people are looking at you in concern. I, I the, from what I can tell, most people do not feel that this man is in on their side. The question of rebuilding, he says, or the article says, may seem premature, but it's on the minds of many in the island state amid a housing crisis. Well, who's we're talking about the government again. Rebuilding is on the mind of the government acting like that's in the best interest of the people. The vast majority of people on any of these islands do not want any of this. Now, you see other people move there, Howleys and otherwise, which means white guy, ultimately. It really technically means anybody not Hawaiian, but today it pretty much just means white person. It's spelled H-A-O-L-E, which is an email that I use, Howley Chef. The point, though, is that this is a lot of people move there, and then they, they look at this as locals. And technically you are been there long enough, not in the sense of the actual indigenous people or the locals that have been there They're generationally, right? And so they can say, all oh, these people need homes. Well, what we're really talking about here is the actual Maui population long before it was ever occupied and, and, and since then and their generational families and what they want. Not that. 
Separately, the State Department of Commerce and Consumer Affairs urged Maui homeowners affected by the fires to use caution and to report unsolicited offers to buy their properties. Well, I, I do think that should be public. I quite frankly don't think they care. The governor expressed hope that a memorial could be built. Well, that's quite different, though, right? So then where will that happen? Since we're, since, and I'll show, I, I can just show you really quickly, actually. We'll come back to this. Here's a map of where it was burned. Okay, pretty much everything in this area, even this, even the area over here, which is kind of open, is still technically somebody else's property. I mean, our government, I'll show you, oh, there's overlap. Some of this is government property as well. But I argue what we're really talking about as a memorial and what he's talking about and the areas he's pointing to, you'd have to use people's property. And, I, and I'll, I'll show you what he says next, where it includes a lot larger than just some one small memorial. But ultimately saying we want to build a memorial for people that died on people's land that we don't own. Quote, we'll also invest state resources to preserve and protect this land for our people, not for any development, for our people locally. Okay, but who, what are you, whose land are you talking about? It seems like at some expense of somebody, you're acting like this is for the benefit of everybody. This feels like a very globalist kind of collectivism thing, right? Where somebody's going to be screwed, but ultimately it's best for all. Well, I don't know about that. He acknowledged potential legal challenges. Green recently took the bold step of issuing an emergency housing proclamation that suspends several state and county laws in a bid to expedite the development process so more units could be built. Well, the way they read that makes it a little bit confusing because you know when that actually happened? July 17th. Less than a month before this. Hawaii governor takes dramatic action to solve housing crisis. Well, is there really a housing crisis? Or we just have a lot of people flooding into this area because they want to live in Maui and this is be creating the crisis. Well, it's kind of the same thing. But what we're really talking about here is people who have lived in this area their entire lives with generationally who are being pushed out. So when you create a housing crisis and then argue you need to remove people who've been there their whole lives so you can build a, a compound, people stacked on top of each other in ridiculous apartments, well, that's exactly what they're trying to fight against. So right before this all starts, the governor quite literally removes the law. Critics question the decision to suspend laws, to streamline the approval process for development. And then what do you know? Clean sweep. Now it's completely open. Now he gets to decide moratorium. Are we going to do a memorial? It's a kind of interesting, right? These laws, I guarantee are going to, or the lack thereof, are going to come into play in whatever happens next. Mark my words. When the suspend the laws that have been suspended to streamline the approval process, they're going to go, good thing we have those laws suspended, so now we can rapidly develop for the benefit of everybody. Mark my words. Goes on to say, quote, much of what we do is challenged by other laws, federal and otherwise, that don't let us restrict who can buy in our state. Ah, it's for your benefit. Of course, right? These dang laws getting in the way, stopping us from stopping people from developing. Does that sound like what they were doing? Well, that's what he's saying now, now after these fires. That's interesting. But we can do it deliberately during a crisis, and that's what we're doing. Well, there you go. Okay, so he's deliberately doing this during a crisis, even though this was initiated before this crisis started. Hmm, that's an interesting politically way, a political way to frame that. You could argue that's a telling lie or that he's just trying to frame it so he looks like he did this for the benefit of everybody and really it was something that was a benefit of developers before this ever started. Quote, and so far my part, and, and so for my part, I will try to allow no one from outside our state to buy any land until we get through this crisis and decide what Lahaina should be in the future. 
Oh, and who decides that? Well, let me tell you. He's not talking about the locals. He's talking about the government. So that's pretty clear. And I'll make it even more clear with the post that this, this video will show you where he's openly saying this to somebody. So read that again. First of all, no one outside the state. Okay, well, that means a lot of people that are vultures and, and these kyenas that are all trying to do. I mean, all the people I've listed, but there's plenty of other developer people that live on the island trying to take advantage of this, building water parks and all sorts of terrible things that people don't want, really, the locals anyway. They live in the state, right? So that doesn't include them. So that, in my opinion, those are the most concerning people. And then he says, we will not allow them to sell their land until this crisis is over paraphrasing, and then decide what we should do in the future. I got to be honest, man, that is a really, again, conspiracy aside, genuine potential conspiring aside, that's a big deal to me. Why are the world, I mean, of course, it's because government frames themselves today as, you know, basically parental paternalism. They somehow are, you're too dumb to know what to do next, so they'll step in and take care of it for you. Nobody wants that except really ignorant people. Well, here's the uh, post-millennial Hawaii governor says state is looking to acquire land that was destroyed in the fires. Okay, so this was the same day. This was posted the next day, but the video is actually from the same day. This is from KHON2. Listen to what he has to say. Well, joins us live with more. Nikki. Yeah, Sam, we really learned a lot about this fire, how quickly it moved and how absolutely dangerous Front Street is. At there, there are dead animals in the road still. That's something that was pretty shocking to see. Um, the it's a chief screenshot right there, by the way. To the Family Assistance Center and do a DNA swab campfire and has become the deadliest fire in the last 10 years. It's just strange. They end up sitting on this one shot of a tree for like half the video. I don't know what that means, but something tells me that's not what they meant to do. I wonder what was on the video that maybe didn't want you to see. Call me a conspiracy theorist. Plenty do. But here's the point. Potentially stepping on human remains. So if you can, please avoid all of Front Street if you can. And this is what Josh... Oh, so there's one of the reasonings they're trying to tell people. You know, don't go back to your own territory, your own home. Because, you know, you may accidentally step on somebody because clearly the government cares about that, right? You could maybe say that somebody locally does, but that's just – it doesn't make sense that you can restrict somebody from going back to their own their own burned-down home. I just don't understand that. Governor Josh Green had to say, along with the FEMA director, about preserving Lahaina moving forward. I'm already thinking about ways for the state to acquire that land so that we can put it into workforce housing to put it – to put it into workforce housing. That's exactly what I just said. So you see, he's framing this elsewhere as in the benefit of the people that just lost something. That's not what he's saying. He's saying he's looking for ways for the state to get this land to get to, to solve the housing crisis. That is the opposite of helping the local people. That is using them, using this catastrophe to benefit new people coming in or people that had beautiful land, million-dollar properties that are not going to be jammed in some sardine can and these high-rise apartments they're going to build or the homing or the, uh, what, what the whatever phrase you just used, the, the housing of that land so that we can put it into workforce housing to workforce put it back housing. into families or to make it open spaces in perpetuity as a memorial. Open spaces in perpetuity as a memorial. He didn't say one spot. He's saying we're trying to acquire those lands. Now, you could argue he's speaking broadly. It's up for you to decide. To people who were lost. We want this to be something that we remember 
uh, after the pain passes uh, as a magic place. And Lahaina will rebuild. The tragedy right now is the loss of life. Uh, the buildings can be rebuilt over time. Even the banyan tree may survive. But we don't want this to become uh, a cleared space where then, yes, people from overseas just come and decide they're going to take it. Yeah, well, I, that you, you could argue he's trying to fight for people. Maybe I'm wrong. But what I'm concerned about is these people using the illusion that they're on your side to say bad people from overseas coming to take our property when all you're doing is the same thing from inside. You're standing there saying we're going to take this land as the state. Well, nobody's differentiating between the state of, of Hawaii and the government running that, which is simply from the U.S. government versus people outside of that area that are doing the same thing because they are still trying to take it away from people that own it to create what they want with it. That's not benefiting anybody but them. That's the point. That's very concerning to me. Now, as Sal the Agris points out, and he always does a great job with these kind of highlights, this is just like every other story we hear. When this first started, what was the main thing you heard from people? Land grab. They're coming in to take the land. And they said, fake news. Everybody, everywhere said, fake news. Even though the same point somebody else made, I forget who it was now, about whether it was direct energy weapons or whatever else. That, so they're coming up right when this starts and going, we don't know what's going on yet. We don't have the information. We, can't, we don't know what happened. And you go, well, maybe it was directed on your weapon. They go, fake news, that's not true. It's like, didn't you just say you don't know what happens? Happens. So how could you know it's not that? It's the same thing as them telling you it wasn't the vaccine when we now know it was. They were just saying that because they don't want you to know that or that they're afraid to admit it to themselves. The point is, this is a headline from, from uh, Gateway. Hawaii Democrat governor says state plans to acquire land. You just heard him say it yourself. But as he says, yesterday, this was a conspiracy theory. Today, it's a headline. Well, I'll buy a Gateway pundit, but the point is he did say it. So how could, I mean, it's, this is how ridiculous this has all gotten. It always was, actually. People are just finally becoming aware of it. They said, they said conspiracy theory because that's not the narrative you were supposed to listen to. That's all. And now it becomes the reality, and you point at it, and they go, no, that's not what you meant. It's like, well, how do you know what I meant? <laughs> it, just, it gets so embarrassingly stupid. Well, Mike Yoder points something out on Instagram. He says, Maui landowners are terrified that the state of Hawaii, you see, that's my point, not some outside power, that too, but specifically that the state of Hawaii is going to take their land, and I would be too. He says the Fifth Amendment's taking, cla taking clause authorizes the government to confiscate private land so long as, one, it's used for public benefit. That should not, that's not even constitutional. I, really, I mean, that, to me, that just seems completely counter to anything that we could, we should have ever, like, my point is that right there, and this goes back to the same point of Maybury versus Madison. If it's repugnant to the Constitution, it's null and void. Whether it's a new amendment or not, the original Constitution, that includes the Bill of Rights in my mind, if you ultimately put something out that contradicts it, what was previously set as inalienable, as existing before people were, whether they wrote this down or not, right? It's, it is God-given. So the point is they're just outlining what they know is inalienable and God-given. So if you come up and write today a new amendment that says that you don't have freedom of speech, it doesn't that, that's repugnant to the Constitution, therefore null and void. So at this point, we're talking about something that quite literally undermines your right in any number of examples. I mean, you can pick one through five at this point. It, in my opinion, doesn't, isn't valid. But it says, and two, just compensation. Well, they get to decide that. So when they give you just compensation and they value, they value it based on the current status and give you pennies in the dollar and then say they're going to use it for public benefit, well, this is what we see already being – that's the language he just used. And he goes, and the 14th Amendment extends this federal power to the states. You see my point? And they keep doing this, and all they do is they get further and further away from – see, this is hard for a lot of people to understand. 
a lot of Americans still actually believe that the government gave us constitutional rights. I mean, th- that is one, that's a, you know, one that makes me think of like the usual suspects. You know, it's like the biggest trick the devil ever pulled, devil ever pulled is convincing you he doesn't exist. It's kind of the same thing. It's like over this time, we've been convinced that they gave you these things, even though their the original point was they simply outlined things that they have no power over. Just it's just that's how the government has worked. But it says, I will help anyone in Maui fight to protect their land. So if you want to, this is one person. I mean, I caution anybody right now, anywhere reaching out for support or, you know, there's a lot of grifters in this field right now, but there are a lot of honest people trying to help too. So just be careful. Now here is, uh, I forget, I actually forgot this. I'm so, I forgot to do this. Dang it. I was mad about this. I don't know who the hell cut this video and then cut the guy's name who's speaking. God darn it. I'm just so frustrated by, I also want to play it for that reason. I hate people that take videos from other people, put their tag on it and cut things out. It's like, God, man, people have no shame today. Now I'm not saying that's this person here. I I don't know. This looks like an automated bot account on Twitter anyway. Now, uh, Kiyakona, looks like his last name. I wish we saw his first name, is speaking about exactly what we're hearing a lot about that people are calling and trying to do this right now. And frankly, I don't think it's just a worry from outside. Things that's already been happening is realtors are calling families who lost everything, offering them to buy their, their property and their home for pennies on the dollar, just pennies on the dollar. So it's pretty offensive to us that people won't even give us the time to grieve properly. And people's mental health, health is, has been diminished in all of this. They've lost everything. People have lost family members. And for them to have that disrespect to come in and already try and buy things up is out of control. Hmm. It's just it's just wildly insensitive and, and disgusting. I mean, you're literally while people are still looking for their family members, right? I mean, it's it's like like I said though, that's the kind of business this is for a lot of people. But this is another one where you might have seen circulating. This is about the local Maui police department. And this is on the 15th, issuing orange cards to people. And you cannot travel to other parts of the island without it. So the only way to look at this in my mind is that you are being corralled. I don't understand. Like, is this for their safety? I mean, it's not even really clear at this point. Like, they've been kept away. And the, the narrative of whether the air is dangerous only just kind of crept up in the last couple of days. So what's been going on since then? I, I, there's, there's been a lot of different, oh, you're going to step on people or you're looking for dead people. You know, it, it's, there's all sorts of narratives, all of which are true. I mean, it's horrific. You're thinking about it. And that's the point that goes to the, whether or not they're under shooting the number dramatically, which it seems to be the case. Still at this point, it's like 111 or more, even though there's still thousands of people missing. And I get being accurate, but my God, if you can literally just see, as a lot of people have said they had far more than that, just by looking over the landscape, but that's up for you guys to decide. But my point is it just seems very strange, the timing of it all, and, and artificially kind of being held back from being able to go to your own property. Oh, it, it looks like I didn't grab this one. Let's play it here. I'm doing a voiceover. This is footage earlier at McKinley Park. I didn't feel safe speaking freely about the situation while I was there, but the police are issuing permission slips for residents to freely come and go um, to their homes the other parts of the island. How long have you guys been in line to get these? Three hours. Three hours. Been in line three hours, but it's probably longer now. You know. Okay, I just didn't want to talk over where I was actually speaking uh, live there, but I'm 
going to walk along the line so you can see there are thousands of people here at this park. There were two separate locations where uh, they, they told people to come get these permission slips, which would allow them to leave their houses, travel to other parts of the island that were unaffected, and return. Now, one very important thing to note with all of this is many of these people, including us, live approximately 20 minutes away from the fire. And we are very, very far away from any structure or any, uh, you know, any building car, anything like that, that was directly affected by the fire. We watched the fire from very far away and there was no fire here. Uh, another important thing to note is the power is now back on uh, at the time, at least where, where, where we live. The power is back on at the time that I'm making this video, um, but we do not have uh, communication and we have some other issues still. Now, the thing that I, I don't understand, I have not, I've asked many people who are police, who work for the mayor's office, I've asked them wh why this is necessary, why people cannot go freely from their houses to other parts of the island that were unaffected and that have medical supplies and other things that they may need and, and free communication to the outside world without having to hop or without having to hike to the top of the hill and, and get to a tower on Molokai, which is what I've been having to do. Uh, and, and, and nobody's been able to tell me why this is necessary, what the safety concern is with people who live here uh, leaving their houses and, and returning. Um, but I, I and, and don't believe anything they tell you about this. I mean, a, a lot of people have said, oh, they, the people can do that. But I have interviews of, of many residents saying otherwise, where they were you know, stuck in Kihei, stuck downtown. And so you're given this choice. Uh, and then, they're, then they tell you that, oh, well, there's a medical trailer. There's a medical trailer uh, down in, 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 in Gateway, which is there sometimes and has some things, but it doesn't have the medication that I need. It doesn't have the medication that many other people need. I've interviewed people who cannot get their medication, and they're being given a choice of leave your house without being able to potentially come back and be homeless downtown, live in your car, whatever, and then you can get your medication. Then you can get the food you want to eat. Then you can get the, the water you want to drink or stay here and eat the food that we designate to you. Uh, eat, drink the water, um, get the information that you need. I've actually been told by multiple people when I've complained about the fact that we don't have free communication to the outside world. I, I've been told all the information that you need is coming from the planes, which is insane. I mean, it's it's basically, you know, these planes fly overhead and they give you these little, uh, you know, five-second messages. And that's it. God, that's all we have. And then I've been told, you know, oh, there's free Wi-Fi here, there's free Wi-Fi there. This, I have not found, I've been all over the West Side, at least for me personally and for my wife, we have not been able to connect to any of these uh, Wi-Fi networks with any success. Um, so there's a lot of crazy things going on out here. There's a lot of things that are, that are not right in my opinion. That's pretty interesting, which aligns with a lot of things we're hearing from people like Sheldon and elsewhere, 
right? The idea that you're, you're not being allowed to travel out. I mean, we're, these are people that aren't even near the problem. Doesn't that seem strange to you? And don't forget, again, we'll come to it in a second. The reports of the risk are only just now kind of popping up. Actually, oh, look, I, I forgot I reorganized. We're, I, we'll get to it in one second, actually. And, and so that doesn't make sense to me. Like, so it's almost as if they, they sought out an answer, right? Or, you know, a justification now. Oh, well, look, it might be dangerous. And they're not even saying it is. They say it might be. And so, again, I have to overlap that with the absolute incompetence, willful incompetence and disregard for the verifiable risk happening in East Palestine today. I don't believe that for a second. This is what they care about. Now, here is uh, a Wall Street Journal video. This is this is from uh, today. Lahaina residents allowed to return for the first time. First time. A week later, they haven't been allowed to go back to their own land. So what? a week later? I mean, these things just don't add up, guys. I mean, look at me. Maybe there's an answer that explains it all. I haven't heard it, though. And even if I did, I'd probably not believe it. Because frankly, right now, I'm very skeptical. But here, this is this is coming out as of the 14th. Chemicals released into the air. So we're talking like five days later. Chemicals released into the air and water from Maui fires could pose long-term risks. Could. And it says the fires that have burned in Maui since Tuesday could pose long-term health risks to residents due to chemical compounds contaminating the air, water, and wreckage, authorities and experts have warned. The Hawaii State Health Department cautioned Friday that ash and dust from burned buildings might carry toxic chemicals like asbestos and lead. So, okay, so yeah, those are dangerous, but guess what, guys? They're literally all over your lead in your water right now, pretty much everywhere in the United States. The idea that these are the things that they're worried about. Do not strike me as genuine. I mean, quite frankly, I mean, it gets even crazier when they list off some other things. But just right there, do you believe that? Though they don't get, they don't give, they don't care at all about the wildly high level of dioxins, not just in East Palestine, but pretty much over the United States or PFAS or benzene that's in children's toys and sunscreen. Who cares about any of that? But we care now. We care now for these people, right? I don't believe it for a second. Felton said that there is some concern that people in Lahaina might inhale lead and asbestos particles in the air, but that the bigger worry is that residents might unintentionally ingest the chemicals if they get on clothes or hands. Then, on top of the usual health risk of wildfire smoke and the air in areas that burn might also contain volatile organic compounds. We'll look at that. VOCs. The same broad, undefined thing they pretend they're searching for in East Palestine, even though that's almost designed to miss the bigger picture. A term for a large group of chemicals that can increase the risk of some cancers, birth defects, and cognitive impairment among people with long-term exposure. Also, don't miss the point that these are just broad overlaps now where probably lots of vaccine side effects and problems can also fall under this umbrella, and we'll just kind of, that also gets spread along. That's not going to go away. As much as people act like we're trying to conflate these stories, that's a real thing. And if we are really honest about the unbelievable reach of these dangerous injections that are destroyed the planet, I mean, quite literally, the population. People are going to suffer for a very long time because of those things. And that's not my opinion. That is peer-reviewed science. And the people shaking their heads right now are absolutely ignoring all the science while screaming, trust the science. The point is that's going to happen. Things like this are going to be then broadened out to say, well, that's probably the thing that just happened. And these things get conflated. And the further we get from it, the harder it is to prove. But it says the compounds enter the air when materials like rubber, metal, plastics get incinerated. Guys, they're literally talking about dioxins. That's what they're talking about. Suddenly, they care over here where they can use it to keep people away from the crime scene, it would seem. Given the scale of the devastation in Maui, quote, there are probably a fair number of people who had these exposures, says one of these experts. Meanwhile, Maui County told residents in two areas 
Lahaina and Upper Kula, not to use, drink, or boil their water because it too may contain benzene. Benzene of all things and other volatile chemicals, right? So don't be careful, benzene, but here's some children's toys full of it. Here's some sunscreen that you should wear, they tell you, full of benzene. Why don't they care about that? Suddenly we care here. I mean, guys, that's ridiculous. You just take a quick look up and find out where benzene is pretty much all over the country and all sorts of things that they give to people with no question, but suddenly we care about the, the, the possibility that it might be present here. Not buying it. Felton said the water tests will look for volatile organic compounds. But Alan uh, Tom, a cooler resident, said the taps were briefly shut off because of the fire. Well, let's not forget, that's what they were unable to use water to try to put out fires because they turned the water off. Don't miss that. That's real. And that is being completely skipped over by a lot of people. Then, hours after water came back Thursday, his neighbor told him not to drink it. So now they're still being told not to. So there are people suffering all over the place still based on what they have done and still are doing. Andrew Welton, who's one of the independent experts that have told you that dioxins are everywhere in East Palestine and they're still suffering. He's now over here dealing with this problem. And he says it's a professor of environmental and ecological engineering at Purdue University. He said he is concerned that residents were told that it's safe to take lukewarm showers, which is the exact direction they were given. And he says, given that the water has not yet been tested. Oh, yeah, they clearly care about you, right? Maybe it's got these bad things. But then go ahead and use the water, though, to take showers. And here's the expert going, well, that's absolutely ridiculous. If they haven't tested it, that's just as dangerous as anything else. So you can see it's hollow. There's something else going on, in my opinion. Welton said he asked the state health department to reassess the guidance. They don't care. He says, quote, as you increase water temperature, the amount of chemical that goes into the air will increase. So it's odd that they actually said, make sure you take a lukewarm or hot chip. That's interesting. But he says the threat of chemical exposure from the debris in Lahaina will linger until recovery workers and authorities remove the ash and rubble. Well, it's kind of a reverse situation in East Palestine. As they continue to dust up and remove ash and rubble, well, that continues to increase their problem. So you see, it's almost like they're, they, this story makes it clear that they're well aware of what's going on in East Palestine and don't care. Let's put it that way. It's the same issue. So why are they able to recognize it right there, but not over here when you've got five, six independent experts telling you it's a problem? Because they don't care. Here's the Washington Post with the most specific. And this, I promise you, is what's being used now. So this is August 17th. The toxic aftermath of the Maui fires could last for years. Well, what do you know? Suddenly there's going to be a narrative. Well, guys, you just can't. It's just too dangerous for you. So let's just give you some money and let's turn this into a, a memorial. Let's, let's sweep this out and make build housing and let's green energy the entire place, which is clearly part of this. I, I don't buy this. I mean, look, there's going to be issues. My point is they don't care about those issues anywhere else unless it benefits them. That's my opinion, but you proved me wrong. I mean, it's quite clear. You want to look at it? You look no further than East Palestine. I mean, guys, this was the report from July 2nd. And you could prove this. He's even, I even just played a video where he goes over his exact reports. That he is told, he, this, the EPA knows about this. Up to 14,000% more dioxins in the East Palestine homes than compared to the control. That's not a typo. 14,000%. And then don't forget that the EPA just put out numbers about where they said the, the dioxin level was. And I proved to you with their own documentation that that was way higher than the safe level, according to them. But yet they point to that number and say it's below, it's, and then even then, Scott Smith, 
follows up and says, well, the number we're finding is higher than that anyway. Nobody cares. Don't forget, by the way, since we're pointing at it, that the investigation, the government investigation, quite literally found that the so-called controlled burn was unnecessary. That's real. Nobody cared about that. Not one mainstream outlet even pointed at that. Why? I wonder why. And then the main point is that Alan Shaw, right here, the CEO of Norfolk Southern, on the record, spoke to their experts. And the experts told them that the treated vinyl chloride that was in these tanks, we don't hear that, right? We hear vinyl chloride. It was treated vinyl chloride. They told them that it was most likely not going to explode. And then he went back to the fire chief, volunteer fire chief, and didn't tell him that. And then they pressured him to make a choice, and now they blame him. He's on the record saying he was railroaded. He was railroaded, and he doesn't, and nobody cares. Clearly, they care about the people, right? Here's Scott C. Smith, again, pointing out the reality that right now, and this was posted on the 14th of August, the tests show a major rise in dioxin levels. August 14th, six months after this happened, and the dioxin problem is increasing. My point, guys, is that they don't care about this. In fact, nobody's even talking about this. They're actively trying to ignore it, but they're over here going, oh, no, worry about these things, even though we don't even know if it's happening yet. Does that feel genuine to you? Well, there's a lot of other things that stick out as real big problems in regard to whether or not this was something that was in some way influenced, managed, or allowed to happen or created. Right here is a local. Uh, he's a local real estate guy, but he look, he, he, just based on his engagement, seems like he's kind of well-known and everyone knows him. Now, there's a couple of things he does when he talks to people in this video, but there's one that stood out. It's, it's, kind of, it's been pretty popular. It's gone all around the internet. I think it's important to see. He speaks to this guy that is a, kind of an, a, a, a main fixture of the local area of Maui. You find these a lot in these certain areas where it's just the guy everybody knows. He's always outside this one place, and he sells these kind of hats, and he's super nice, and everybody knows him. And one of these guys he speaks to, and it seems like he didn't even plan it. He just notices him and goes, hey, yeah, I didn't see that. And he has something very, very interesting to say. On the island of Maui, Hawaii, trying to bring you the real information, the Man, those things are nuts. Yeah. Good to see you boys. Yeah. Have fun. Stay safe out there, all right? Good to see you. Hey. So anyway, I uh, forgot where I was at, but um, uh, putting the money where it belongs, the resources where I think they'll make the biggest difference, and um, share the video, like, subscribe. I said all that stuff already. The Surons threw me off, man. But anyway, in the comments also, let me know any suggestions you have of places you'd like me to go, things you want to see. It's a feedback thing. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a feedback loop, right? That's how YouTube works. I love that about YouTube. I am trying to read all my comments. If I can, Boycott uh, YouTube. I've got connectivity, I can. Boycott but let YouTube. me know what the things that you are, that you want to see that would be helpful sitting in your seat. Obviously, I'm trying to show you what it's oh. like sitting in our seat. There it is. Sorry. I thought it was closer than that. <laughs> it's about 30, 40 grand, but someone could basically put it on a piece of land, totally self-sustaining, solar, inverter, water containment, Oh, no way! Dude, do you know how many people are asking about you, bro? Um, do you know? Look, it just showed up! <laughs> bro. I'm glad are you okay, you. man? Are you okay? Yeah. Holy, bro. I can't believe you just walked up on me. I'm doing a live right now, and everyone loves fish, and everyone's texting me, and emailing me, and commenting me, how's fish? Like, seriously. You're like the number one guy people want to know about. Oh my gosh. Bro, 
Are you okay? I knew you would be okay, by the way. Yeah, I think I was the last person to make it out of, out of line. Of, so. Really? That's kind of low, basically. just said he's the last. He, was, he thinks he was the last person to make it out of Lahaina. Can you tell your story, man? You got, you got time? Are you feeling all right? Or yeah. I know it's middle of the day and it's hot. Yeah. Well, I went to uh, Safeway late because the wind was blowing, so I knew I wouldn't be able to leave that night. And electricity was off. And so it took me about an hour and a half. A little louder because of the wind. Just a little louder fish. It took me about an hour and a half to just get some orange juice. And so it was about four o'clock and I went out and I saw the fire and it was, you couldn't even see the gateway because it was covered with smoke and everyone's standing around just looking. And I said, I think we should get out of here because of the speed of this wind. It could be here in two minutes. And so about what time was this effort? By the way, if you guys don't know who this is, this is Fish. He's been sitting next to the Cheeseburger in Paradise selling the most awesome stuff, right, for years. He's a, uh, he's like a legend, and uh, everyone loves fish, and fish loves everybody. But he's one of the wisest person people that I know. He, he's not homeless; he's houseless by choice, by the way. Anyway, fish, continue. So I went around back to Front Street, and there were all the cars were lined up, but none of them were moving. And I walked all the way from Safeway to the Chart House; not one car had moved. And I was wondering what was stopping the traffic. It was a policeman, and I got to the end, and I looked up north. There were no obstructions. There was no reason to keep those cars there. Are you serious? I'm serious as a heart attack. And I, I said, what are you doing? He goes, well, I'm under orders to keep them here. And I said, the fire is, is right around Safeway. It's going to hit Front Street. You know, these people got to get out of here. And he said, I'm following orders. No way. And I, so I just kept walking. I, well, maybe he knows something I don't, you know, so... And I keep walking down the highway, and I look behind, no cars are coming out. I walked all the way to Waikuli Beach, still no cars coming out. And I started hearing boom, boom, boom. And then I heard people screaming. And... So just, just hear what you guys realize that so the fire hadn't reached the main spot, Front Street. They're holding them up. And then by, while he's still walking away from them, he hears bigger explosions, people screaming. Yet there's no misunderstanding that whatever the reasoning was, I don't care whether you end up feeling there was a justifiable reason because they thought there was danger elsewhere, whatever. Because they were held there artificially, people died. That is not hyperbole. Make, make of that what you will. Adding that with the rest of what we're seeing, I find that really hard not to think something's going wrong, that there's something very suspicious here. Now, also, you can argue that he's lying or that he's, mis he's confused. Certainly possible. But I, I, I've heard a lot of other testimony about very similar things. People about both not allowing things in afterward, but also not letting people out when it started. Don't forget, Shelby's mom said something very similar. Now, she was on foot. That's the same way. That's why when she tried to talk to the person, remember, she said they were just like in a trance. They wouldn't respond. I've heard that from a lot of people, whatever that ultimately means to you. But there were, she said the same thing, that people were just being held there. I don't understand that, guys, unless there's something very serious going on here. You're saying they were blockaded in by the police at the end of Front Street? Yeah. Like where that restaurant is? Right, where the chart house was. Where the was. chart house was, I should right. say. They, there was a blockade there, and they could not go any further. Right. I walked, what the I hell? Said, I walked all the way from Safeway to there. Not one car had moved. And people walking in front of me, the people in the cars are saying, would you like a ride? And they're going, oh, okay. And they'd get in. They asked me, how to, no. You better get out of here, you know, it, 
and uh, but they were just well, we were told to evacuate by car. I was, okay, so I just kept walking and I got all the way to, uh, like I said, the Civic Center and then I started hearing all the explosions and there was no one walking behind me or on bicycles or anything. And I just... Dude, that is unbelievable. I had no idea, you know, until the next day when I walked down there to or what had happened. I just, oh my... So did you, did you go up north to your place? Yeah. Yeah. And then you just hunkered down for the night? Yeah. And then you came down to Front Street or the fire? Because I know the fire burned right above your, your place. It did it get, all, did it get close way, to you? It got to the uh, Civic Center right where the tennis courts are at, all around through there. And that, that's where they stopped it. Wow. Wow. So, so if people here want to help you, do you have, I know you're not, are you online? Do you have a Venmo? Do you have any kind of online account of any kind whatsoever? No. Nothing. No. So guys, if you want to help fish directly, <laughs> Lahaina Fire Fund and then put fish in the comment section and every donation that comes in will go directly to fish. So there's a way you can make a comment. That's nice. I, I find that very compelling. Right. I mean, unless 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 the caveat is that this man is was wrong for some reason or lying for some reason, which based on, you know, I'm not familiar with him or anything else, but from even someone in the chat. And Mayday, I believe, is from that from the general area. He says he's lovely. He makes and sells hats. So he's one of these people, like, again, just from when I lived in Oahu, there's plenty of these people. They're just, whether they're a homeless person that everybody knows because they're kind of just always around, or they, there's a lot of, the, there's just kind of fixtures that are just there selling certain trinkets or whatever else. And somebody like that, everybody seems to know. I think, I don't think you should dismiss something like that. I don't know how you can make sense of that action. I really don't. Well, here's where it gets even more interesting. Oh, excuse me. Uh, there's one more point before I, I was going to get into something else. It's the same. Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. There's an independent article over there, too. All right. So this is just going forward saying Hawaii fire death toll hits 111 as Maui officials say warning sirens would not have saved lives. Think about that. What a ridiculous statement. Like, so this is one of the reasons, again, that I'm like, th this could just as be could just be covering up their incompetence or covering up something bigger. But I feel very strongly that that's something covered up. How are you going to try to tell people that the warning sirens that are designed to help people wouldn't have helped people? That's ridiculous. Because don't forget, they didn't go off. They test these things sometimes twice a month, and they didn't even go off. I, it, there, nobody has an answer for that. Now, the real, the real point for me, is, and somebody else made this point, is that, look, these are tsunami warnings, right? And, and the point people, somebody made in the video was that people tend to ignore them, right, because they test them so often. But at least in my experience, when when the weather is bad and you hear one, you're kind of a little bit more attuned to it, right? But in this case, he says in the video that, look, if, they, if this went off and somebody just peeked outside, you would see the smoke. So, yes, it would have saved people's lives. Yes, it would have given them early warning, which is the whole point. To say it wouldn't have helped is really suspicious. And then, of course, we have this really alarming overlap. This is another local channel, KITV4, saying death toll from the Maui fires climbs to 106 as governor warns identifying all the victims will be difficult. This was August 15th. Identifying those killed in the wildfires will be a very difficult and likely take weeks. will be very difficult. Hawaii's governor, same man, says, says Tuesday as the death toll climbs to 106 and keeps going up because if we're very all clearly aware it's more than that, a lot more. And families desperately wanting, waiting to hear their lost, uh, about lost loved ones were asked to provide DNA swabs. 
I mean, I'm not going to say that there's not an, a, that wouldn't make sense to some degree, but I just a very alarming overlap to all of this, especially from where we just came from, especially with what's going on in the world right now. That's like the last thing anybody should ever give up at this point, in my opinion. Nobody, they realize that whether it's a good intention or not, that goes on file, and this has been documented plenty of times, like we see from the, what they take from you with, with criminal engagement, whether you charge the crime or not, or the border crossing, that these things go on file and they hold them indefinitely in perpetuity. We don't even know what that means today. Especially as we get into something, I, I don't know if it comes out today or not, but Whitney and I just talked about the, the digital twins, the idea of what that means for the false self and all these very interesting conversations. But that point is that we have things happening right now where we're even getting into the world of actual cloning. And what that, 20, 50 years from now, what does that mean when they've got your DNA on file? Like, I just, I'm not even, this is not something we should dismiss. In any case, I find that very interesting. A genetics team will be coming to help identify victims, said the governor. As hundreds of searches with cadaver dogs continue to comb through the ashes of what was homes and businesses, it says identification is challenging because the remains are largely unrecognizable and fingerprints are, are rarely being found. So investigators need to develop DNA profiles from the remains and hopefully find matches, including from any DNA provided by relatives of the missing. But as I understand it, it's not that easy to DNA is not it's, it's not. I mean, even as we I, James Corbett's done great work on this, even fingerprints are not as definitive as we're told. It's not, if that shocks you, look into it. It's very interesting how, or finger or bite, bite marks or all these things they've used in, in these investigatory aspects are actually completely been proven not even to be accurate. Or things like lie detector tests are just like aggressively inaccurate and they just use them when they want to. A lot of these things. So I, I'm very concerned about what that may mean, but you put that where you, where you think it makes sense. Now, this is just one more point that the governor of the government is blocking relief. We've all heard this, and it is true. I've seen it a thousand times. I don't understand why this would make sense. Okay, if you're talking about people being in danger from going back to the territory, I don't agree with that, but at least you could say that logically might make sense. Why would you stop people from helping other people? Is there some kind of liability you're going to pretend makes sense? People are dying. People are suffering. People are actually having you know, food and supplies and shelter. And, and I mean, being in Hawaii is probably the best possible place to deal with that, being outside, I would argue, because the weather is, is ideal. You're not going to be largely caught off, you know, like winter, for example. But my point is that people need things like insulin. People need things like food, for example, that they aren't, they aren't getting. Or as he pointed out in that other video, that they go to the medical trailer and they're not getting the medications they need. Well, these people have been trying to bring this stuff in and being turned away. And that's on the record. They're even telling you, no, only FEMA authorized. Well, but the problem is the FEMA wasn't even present until recently, if that's even the case now. I haven't followed up on whether they're present now, but even Shelby told us that Kareen spoke up at the White House and said, the good thing we've got a FEMA place there. Well, they weren't there for five days straight. So they're present on Maui, but they weren't even there to help. Yeah, that's the reality. So now we, the point is what they're doing now. They're being forced to come in by boat, by sea do and hand this stuff off to people who then have to bring it up to the shore. Look at this. They're funneling this stuff up through the water because they're going to block this if they don't do it this way. Think about that. These are average people trying to help locals and people that suffered while this happened. While the government is actively stopping this stuff from making it to them. So who's really, a, who's really the problem here? I just find this to be incredible. Well, let's talk about some other aspects of this that I think are very important. Everyone's brought over the 2030 overlap, the idea of the Great Reset and the Sustainable Development Goals. Well, there does appear to be an interesting overlap here, which whether that's connected or not, obviously you can decide. But we should not be shying away from whether this might be playing a factor. Now, look, you can look at it two ways. 
this you could obviously argue that this was the reason for this and they caused this to happen. Nobody should dismiss something like that as much as most people are afraid to engage with something like that. But you could also make a point to argue that whether this was organic or not, it's now being used for this, for this direction, for the green, the great reset and the green direction, and the, you know, green energy and all the things you've already talked about. World Economic Forum saying Hawaii will be the very first state to go all green energy. Well, that's an interesting <clears throat> prediction, seeing as how that now seems to be the direction. Well, in July, just before this, 2023, the governor spoke about exactly this. Gave a big speech about in regard with the UN about sustainability. Here's what he said: <clears throat> Hawaii's second voluntary local review (VLR) presented by Governor Josh Green, same governor, to the United Nations during the high-level political forum on sustainable development. Sustainable development. Less than a month before this happened, the review the review highlights progress on achieving the six Aloha Plus Challenge goals, which are the state's local implementation of the UN's 17 Sustainable Development Goals and clearly defines what is lacking. Hawaii stands as the sole state in the United States to have submitted the VLR, the Voluntary Local Review. Very interesting. As the world reels with new undeniable impacts of climate change, or not, as, or that's the framing you're pushing, which is very telling, quote, we cannot put off changing things any longer. We refuse to stand idle when 2030 looms closer and closer. Well, this has been the point I've been making, not just on the climate change illusion, but everything else. If you are convincing youth, adults, that if we don't take action, that we're or almost to the point to where it's already too late, that it doesn't even matter, all we're going to do is minimize the damage, well, you're going to cause people to act in irrational ways. So that is the perfect situation, the perfect series of events and circumstances to justify something this crazy. I'm not saying that's what happened. I'm just saying we should be willing to consider that. Sort of like people that are willing to, you know, assassinate somebody to achieve a greater goal because they think if they don't, that person's going to kill everybody. Or people that will take dramatic action like cementing their hands into the ground because they think that if we don't, then everyone's going to die tomorrow. We, this is what we're talking about. Are we really going to pretend that it wouldn't be the kind of thing? Let's just take this back a step and say maybe this was arsonists. As we've seen in just about every other large fire they call they blame on climate change, where it turns out in Canada and elsewhere that, oops, all the research shows that it was a bunch of arsonists that set up at the same time. Weird. Don't forget, that's exactly how this started, too. Multiple locations at the same time. Certainly could be possible, but realize that that's something that shows up and experts and firemen have said that almost never happens. So could it not be? People that are activists that are doing this to point, make a point and they got out of control. It's amazing that certain people can't wrap their mind around that, even though we literally see it happening. So think about that. We cannot put off changing things any longer. We refuse to stand idle while 2030 looms closer and closer. And one of the largest holdouts in all of the Hawaiian Islands has been specifically Lahaina. Aloha Plus dashboard, I'll show you next. The state is on track to meet its 2030 targets on renewable energy and energy efficiency, but not for clean transportation, with its goal of reducing petroleum usage to 165 million gallons per year. Here's an interesting thought. If next year, let's say, they reevaluate where they are, and suddenly they meet those goals, I'd be willing to bet you that it was because of what happened in Lahaina. Now, you could argue that's just a byproduct of what happened, or maybe why it happened. As always, you shouldn't be afraid to ask that. Let's wait and see what happens. When next year they go, we did it, we hit the goal. I wonder why. The goal to double food production by 2030, first introduced by the 2050 Sustainable Plan in 2008, is not on track. Well, let's see what they use this land for. 
if suddenly we're growing lots of food, well, that might answer other questions as well. Existing conservation commitments and the Sustainable Hawaiian Initiative informed the natural resource management goal of effectively managing 30% of Hawaii's nearshore waters by 2030. Well, remind me exactly again where Lahaina is. Well, they're exactly nearshore water. Well, that might be a reason too. Just a point, something to consider. July 12th, right before this starts, this is what the governor was saying. And again, thank you. Shout out to Arctic Jesus for sharing this with me. Now here is the, this, his name is uh, Kaleo Manuel, or M. Kaleo Manuel, the official who refused to release water in Maui, contributing up to 106 deaths and plenty more than that. Now the point is, they argue that it was about safety and whatever else, contamination, which is what they're saying now. But all it really amounts to is they, they made sure they turned this off. They stopped. We just read it in a mainstream article. Not that that makes it true, but that's mass adoption. They turned this off. And here he is, before this, speaking of true conversations need to be had about water equity. Now, you could take that as you will. I don't understand how you talk about water equity. What that ultimately amounts to is kind of like equal distribution, where I don't even know how that makes sense when something is on a tap. Either way... This might, in fact, play a, play a role here. Now, I'm not going to play this because it's really just this last thing he says. And I think, in my opinion, people are kind of taking out of context a lot of what he says before this, which is just kind of more about, like, the sacred concept of what water is and the Hawaiian way you view it. And I think really the main point for me is talking about water equity at all. And then we have something like this happen. I find that really interesting. Now, here is an interesting overlap that people uh, might not have seen. Now, wait a minute. Let's make sure to miss the... Oh, the dashboard. I said I was going to go to that. How did I miss that? Is that the dashboard? Okay, yes, this is, this is the dashboard. Make sure I didn't close that. If you, want to, if you want the link for the dashboard, other than that link that's a specific page, it's included in this governor's speech here, right there, the Aloha Plus dashboard. Might as well just include that one if you wanted as well. Here's the dashboard link. And what it is essentially is going over a lot of these different... Uh, yeah, I, I specifically went into the, the housing developments, but there's a lot. So here is government land ownership. Now, this isn't some bombshell. I just think it's interesting for people to see what we're looking at here. Now, this, this is Lahaina. And what you can see here, this, this specific strip right here has been you know, classically sought after. The blue is government-controlled territory. Now, what you'll see here, if you look at the overlap, here's the area burned. One thing I do note is very strange is this little white strip right there. That's a housing project, a housing development, which is interesting. But what you also could note is that everything around the other side of it, that's all government land too. But it seems to be kind of open area and not like housing developments. So my, my point is that's all burned right there. But when you look closely, it's really just, you know, it's, it's, le it's not as populated as other, the other areas. But I think it's very telling that the area specifically, the map, the majority of what was affected here seems to be non-government controlled territory. So you take that for what you will. I find that very interesting. And see, this is the housing project right there, but that's also, I mean, that's government state, rather specifically state government controlled area. Now I forget the DHHL was, uh, I, I didn't find it relevant. I don't think I forgot to, I closed it, but the point is state owned. Now you can look closer on this if you'd like. The pink is, estimated fire perimeter the dark red is destroyed orange being heavy damage 
yellow being light and then the, the gray being undamaged. So you got very few spots in here. Now I'm going to show you something next or coming up here soon, I think, about a single house that was left alone. What you will notice, I find it interesting, it's definitely suspicious, but you'll find it's weird that they're all focusing on this one house, even though you will note that there's been, there is a few examples, even with the drone footage I've seen, you'll, you'll you see the anomalous one house that sticks out. Very strange. And we should ask questions about it, but it's weird that they're only focusing on one. I'll show you that in a second. But you can take a look at all this. $5.52 billion in capital exposed. You know, But here's $700, guys. Biden's taking care of you. Here is the Hitachi website, but it's talking about the new smart grid in Hawaii. Specifically, Jump Smart Maui Project. Well, it says the state of Hawaii's goal is to obtain 40% of its electric power generation from renewable energy sources by 2030 but specifically focusing on Maui. I find that very telling. Hitachi recently announced that it has begun operations on the demonstration site for the Japan-U.S. Island Grid Project, commonly referred to Jump Smart Maui. On the island of Maui, Hawaii, in collaboration with the New Energy and Industrial Technology Development Organization, government, and Cyber Defense Institute, hmm, well, that's interesting, an opening ceremony was held on Maui to coincide with the launch of site operations. Well, this is posted. Where was the date again? 2015. So it's in, my point in general is that this has been a long sought project. And you can see here, now I did look into this to a bit, but you've got the wind farms here. You've got sun kind of solar stuff here. And all, you know, it's, it's underdeveloped as far as you would argue based on the other maps I've seen of the other islands. They've been a holdout. I find that relevant. But I also think it's interesting about the wind farms, the locations and the water aspect they talked about. All these things play a factor. And then we have this one that's been spread quite a lot. Maui Smart Grid Project U.S. This one was posted on 2021. Now, yes, this is something I find relevant. The idea that they're continuing forward with this. But here's what I find almost counterintuitive to this point. Because I've seen a lot of people share this going, proof that this is what they're doing. But one thing I, this, I think a lot of people tend to do that without reading all of it. And even if then, you know, you, don't, you shouldn't just blindly follow what they say. But it, ha- it does say that the development on Maui Smart Grid Project was started in 2011. And the commissioning was completed in 2017. Now, I'm not, you could, I don't know if you want to argue that that was finished in 2017, was what it sounds like. So the argument then would be, and I made this point last time, is that it seems kind of counterintuitive to burn areas that might have already been used in this way. But then you could argue that Lahaina specifically was one of the holdouts. In either case, interesting, the Smart Grid Project is owned by none other than Hawaiian Electric, who, again, was there being... To- pointed at as the responsible party for the power lines that fell and started the fire. Kind of goes full circle. But let's get into some of the more interesting parts about this. And it is hypothesize, hypothesizing. And I do think these are really, really interesting. There's two things. There's one about the fact that the Space Force unit was just set up during all of this that does very clearly talk about directed energy. And then we also have a very interesting analogy or possibility put forward by uh, inversionism, the, the account, in regard to what aluminum dust does in regard to wildfires. And I, you know that's, not, that's something that we can't dismiss anymore as they're openly telling us they're using this to block the sun for climate change. And that is already happening. So first, let me re- reiterate this point. And, I'm, and I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm, I'm proud that I found this, whether or not it's related, because if this is something that everyone's talking about. And I, I just by going down the line and searching things and following up on links, I was able to discover that I don't I feel I still feel like most people haven't even seen. Let me do this. Get this back to the top of the post. 
And I said, what everyone is missing is that the Air Force Research Laboratory called the Directed Energy Directorate is located on Maui. And a direct quote from the man who ran it. We delivered the United States Air Force's first ever operational directed energy weapons. I find that ridiculous almost. So here you can see this is the Air Force Research Laboratory. They have, I think it's called, I think it was Starlink. Don't quote me on that. That's the one that's in New Mexico. But then they have the one that's in Maui. The Directed Energy Directorate of the Air Force Research Laboratory. Here is his own page. This is the director of the location, Dr. Kelly D. Hammond. Now he says his 20-year active duty career spanned a variety of positions mainly focused on directed energy weapons system technology, development, and acquisition, and, and culminated while serving at the Director of Engineering for the $7 billion Airborne Laser Program. That's, that's Maui. That's the, he's finally just retiring, it looks like, soon, and he, that he's the Maui, Maui is his location. Now it says, the, and the point was, the Maui space surveillance system. Now they, always, they frame it as surveillance, but he's very clearly talking about weapons. And then you can see over here in his other post, and all this is linked, by the way. This is just the screenshots I have. The links are in the post the, on, with the tweet. He says, quote, we delivered the United States Air Force's first ever operational directed energy weapons. As part of the Air Force's directed energy experimentation campaign, the Air Force Research Laboratory characterized and developed four directed energy counter unmanned aerial systems to overseas locations, three Raytheon high energy laser weapon systems, and the tactical high powered operational responder, the Thor system. He says they built in house, and then that the Department of Defense approved operational use of all systems. Ridiculous. So again, I don't know if that's connected or it was even if this was used, if the fires even related to direct energy weapons or if this was even involved. I don't know that. But I still find this very interesting. Even as people pretend this is a fake, the directed energy weapons are fake in general. That tends to show you something. Now, D Sauce here points something out that I'm not I'm not familiar with his work. I'm not sure, you know, the first time I saw this, somebody sent this to me. But as always, people deserve credit for what they do. The US Space Force just created its first unit dedicated to targeting other nations' satellites. That's interesting. August 11th. And this is a very real story. This is on space.com. Here it is on the actual 505th command and control wing. We'll get into this in general. Here's what it says. U.S. Space Force created the first unit dedicated to targeting adversary satellites. Well, what's interesting is you get into his information in general, Hammett. That's largely one of the things they talk about is both surveillance, but also being able to target enemy surveillance and enemy satellites and so on. We're changing the way we the targeting is done across the joint community. And it says it comes to space and electromagnetic warfare. So there's no misunderstanding what they're talking about. The 75th Intelligence Surveillance and Reconnaissance Squadron, so even the name suggests that it's only surveillance, it's not, was activated on August 11th. So right there, guys, we can just understand that if it was activated, that means this was tested before this. Maybe it was 10 years ago. Maybe it was August 8th. I don't know. It'll do things like analyze the capabilities of potential targets, locate and track these targets, as well as participate in, quote, target engagement. They can't just tell you attack and weapons because that's what they mean. Will presumably refer, which presumably refers to destroying or disrupting adversary satellites, the ground stations that support them and transmission sent between the two. So not only up in this up in space, but the ground stations that support them using directed energy technology. The unit's patch, which of course is almost hard, it's almost insulting, is the Grim Reaper. 
with the Delta Force as their as its nose. It says it, uh, the unit's patch was also unveiled as its activation ceremony, revealing it to be adorned with a Grim Reaper that has the Delta shape for a nose. Ma- uh, Master Sergeant Desiree Cabrera, 75th ISRS, that's the name of the group with the acronym, Operation Superintendent, said the new unit will revolutionize the targeting capabilities of not just the Space Force, but also the entire U.S. military. So again, meaning this has likely been tested. Not only are we standing up the sole targeting squadron in the U.S. Space Force, we are changing the way targeting is done across the joint community when it comes to space and electromagnetic warfare. The 75th ISRS will also analyze adversary space capabilities, including counter space force threats. So the direct energy coming from the other side and very clearly talks about ground-based lasers. Now, the point here is if you get into electromagnetic warfare, it's not its very clear. This was exactly what they said in their own quote. And that is, of course, warfare involving the use of electromagnetic, electromagnetic spectrum, which, by the way, was exactly what Grace found was their focus at the location of Maui or specifically directed energy. That's weapons. It can be at the very least. Down here, it says electronic attack also known as electro, electronic countermeasures, which is another term they use, ECM, involves the offensive use of electromagnetic energy weapons, directed energy weapons. So, very clear what we're talking about here, right? And this is just the same discussion, but on a military website, other, aside from space.com. But that's very interesting, isn't it? So, what's very telling to me is you have a location that, or rather a unit, that's being designated as the very first Space Force Directed energy operation, uh, you know, weapons armed force. And uh, my point is they had to have tested this beforehand. And, and then the bigger point is to connect this back to the fact that this is the location that we're talking about in Maui is on the record as the guy telling you that where they developed the very first weapon of this kind. So are we going to pretend there's not some kind of an overlap here that if they were going to test this, maybe the Thor system that's being used in Maui might be related to that? I don't know, but I still find it almost impossible not to think that there's some connection here, but that's just a thought and you guys should research this for yourselves. So thank you, DSOS, for pointing this out. I find that pretty incredible. And then again, the point about the, the kind of people arguing the laser focus of how this ultimately went. You can decide for yourself whether you think this was involved. Now, again, my point is that this kind of thing, whether or not it's involved, is pretty incredible. So now we're literally using this Grim Reaper patch unit to deploy directed energy weapons from space while we're pretending it's a fake story, while it's not even real. Make sense of that. Well, here is what people are pointing at. Like, How is that possible? I, I agree. It's pretty crazy to think. Now, you can see, you know, the inching into the grass, but even the grass in this location, or the shrubs there, I mean, that's, I find that very hard to believe. But it, let's be clear, like I said in the beginning, it's possible. You must admit that. One in a billion is still a possibility, meaning it's possible. But I would agree, it's wildly unlikely that you would end up with that situation right there. But maybe it had to do with the wind and the water and how, who knows, right? I mean, the point is, a fireman himself will tell you that it's possible, but it's highly unlikely. What's interesting, though, is, you know, people pointed that out and said, who's the famous person that lives there? Well, at least according to the New York Post or many others covering it, which is interesting to me, does not seem to be somebody who is famous or so on. Single home surrounded by burned out destruction somehow survives Maui wildfires. And it says, while the exact reason these buildings survive remains unknown, the way they were constructed likely played a key role. And they're saying, well, it's made from concrete. 
well, I don't know if I make sense. That makes sense to me. Like the, if the argument was that it was concrete and that's why it didn't burn, well, then you would see the pristine white walls at least somewhat different or the roof or anything. Like, so th- this to me is not because concrete. This is because the fire wasn't even touching the building, which is kind of hard to explain, but certainly possible. Patty Tumura, whose family owns one of the few Lahaina houses that remain standing. And this is my point. There's more than one of these examples. So it's strange that all of the articles covering it focus on this one person and this one house, but they credit it to the the concrete walls. She's 67 years old, and she told the San Francisco Chronicle that the house was built by her grandfather, who worked at a nearby sugar mill with the exact purpose of enduring anything that could that he could enjoy his retirement in the 1950s. It says he built the house out of cement because of the bugs and dry rot, which I guess makes sense. Overall, the point is simply, well, concrete, therefore it didn't burn. But I don't know, you tell me, that doesn't seem to make much sense. Now, I'm not going to go over this. I'll include this for you. Quite frankly, I don't think there's a lot to this. But the, this person points out that, the, that digging in, and by the way, I, a lot of times this happens and the name is the same, but people don't care to check whether it could just be someone with the same name. I haven't looked into this, just making that clear. She says she found this person and it's a strategic campaign director. And the real point, the only real point is that this person works with organizations that fund a lot of Democrats. Now, if that means everything to you, then there you go. Quite frankly, I think that's a very partisan point that tends to drive people away from the bigger picture, right? Because it's not just the Democrats and doing this, but that's how the two-party paradigm will confuse people. But maybe I'm wrong. There it is for you. You want to look further. Now, this point I find just relevant as hell for any of these conversations. Thank you again for inversionism. Doing great work. Another interesting development in Maui, in the Maui Insanity, he points out that aluminum dust from geoengineering fueling super wildfires, or that's happening according to the authors that that I'll point at. Now, it says the author discovered that unprecedented levels of aluminum and barium nanodust, how long have we been talking about specifically aluminum and barium? That's what they're spraying. They have been for a decade or plus, as we can prove, according to people that are testing the rainwater in San Francisco in particular and finding shocking high levels of both of those things. Now, and now even they're telling you they're doing it, but they pretend like it just started. It didn't. But it says that this is fueling the ferocity of these wildfires. A retired United States Air Force Brigadier General, interesting overlap, has been quoted from public sources saying, quote, these white aircraft spraying tails are the result of scientifically verifiable spraying of aluminum particles and other toxic heavy metals, polymers and chemicals. He says, when wildfires break out, the aluminum barium dust results in levels of fire intensity so great as to cause firefighters to coin a new term, fire nados. Or, you know, melting steel on the streets or any number of things. Now, by the way, I wanted to talk about that. I mentioned before, as I was in passing, I was looking at the melted, what looked like metal. And I said, I don't know, it could be aluminum. Well, that's actually a terrible point because as I understand it, aluminum even has a higher melting point. So either way, guys, it seems like whatever is there, whatever's melted on the ground in, is, and I mean, even, even the, was it the, the police chief himself said that melted steel on the ground. Let's be clear, that's not possible with a normal fire unless you've got something like this going on. I'm not even sure if these things added would cause that. But the point is that this is a real thing. Here, here's just, first of all, the article he cites, aluminum dust from geoengineering fueling super wildfires. It says, and this is from 2018, while researchers for this new, his new, his new, his new novel, author Dennis Mills, discovered an alarming link between, as what uh, even I no longer like to use this term, as a as, uh, off. Uh, Dane Wigington and I talked about on our interview that the, the term chemtrails is like is a is a, a term that's meant to make people think crazy. Geoengineering is what it is. 
stratospheric aerosol injection. You know, those are the real terms. So when they use chemtrails, a lot of times it's, it's, you know, we should avoid the terms like that that are meant to make it seem stupid. But the point is, that's what they ultimately were. That's what we're talking about. So the geoengineering, the link between that and these wildfires, the author discovered that unprecedented levels of aluminum and barium nano dust, primary, prim, uh, primary components in, in the geoengineering, both of which are incendiary, are fueling the ferocity of these fires. Retired gen, uh, general, we just talked about that while they're spraying these they're it's uh, the verifiable spraying is causing this problem. He says, just sprinkle aluminum, barium, aluminum or barium dust on a fire and see what happens. It's near explosive. When wildfires break out, the aluminum barium dust results in levels of fire intensity so great as to cause firefighters to coin the new term fire NATOs. The government has for years denied the existence of this spraying. It now calls the program various names all under geoengineering, which is what it is. But what's interesting is now they're admitting this. Now, let's be real about this. Whatever you think about what the author found and what they're saying here, nobody denies this is happening, right? I would hope not, seeing as how they're quite literally telling you all the time, Spray sun-blocking chemicals into the atmosphere to cut global temperatures. This is 2019. They were already saying this. They're already talking about that. They have been doing this for a long time. Now, let's make sure you understand what it is they're doing. Here is from 2017. Harvard scientists moving ahead for plans for atmospheric geoengineering experiments. Now, of course, these are before the broad campaign to let you know they're doing it. They're just testing things at this point. But even then, it was happening. Let's be real, guys. This has been going on for a long time. Here's what it says, just so we're clear. Sometime next year, Harvard professors, and we're talking 2018, Harvard professors David Keith and Frank Cooch hope to launch a high-altitude balloon tethered to a gondola equipped with propellers and sensors from a site in Arizona. After initial engineering tests, the balloon would spray a fine mist of materials such as sulfur dioxide, alumina, which is basically aluminum oxide, or calcium carbonate into the stratosphere. Barium being one of the things they're openly discussing today on top of all this. The sensors would then measure the reflectivity of the particle. So we're talking about exactly the same thing. Spraying this to reflect. To, and it says right there to possibility of, you know, the threat of climate change. That's what they're doing. It says Keith has previously used computer modeling to explore the possibility of using other materials. on You know, diamond dust, aluminum. Okay. So this is what they're doing. So if we if we can't factor that in to the idea that maybe this was being sprayed all over the place and is in fact causing these things to become a problem, possibly even by design, maybe they're targeted spraying, I don't know, then yes, this is part of the conversation. Here's an interesting video, in fact, from Dane Wigington, who you should follow, where that very person, Keith, uh, David Keith, admits to you that yes, we're spraying aluminum, and yes, there are even negative side effects, but... Because climate change is so serious, we have to accept those consequences. And this is my point. Well, what if it's not? What if you're wrong? So you're hurting people. This is like the benefits outweigh the risks. Well, it turns out the risks were way more than you told us and the benefits were nothing. So you lied. And maybe you didn't even know that. But that's why this kind of irrational push should not be allowed to happen. Here's what he says. picture is from a nanofabrication study which shows you can make very high quality and do this in just a jet in a very simple way make high quality alumina particles just by spraying aluminum vapor out which oxidizes so it's certainly in principle possible to do that there's a big literature that's already looked at that and you could do that by either building new versions of these aircraft or even re-engineering existing aircraft so there's some ideas of that so you go to an engineering firm and you want this done they don't say this is hard or unusual they say okay yes we could do it Aerosol geoengineering looks like it is so cheap that the cost is basically not going to be an issue. That means that implementation decisions will be risk-to-risk decisions. 
the risk of doing it against the risk of not doing it. And it makes the problem of how we govern it fundamentally harder and different and normal. So I've told you this cheap to deliver materials and stratosphere, and I'm convinced that's true. I don't think that will change. But I think the more we do research, the less easy this will look, the more complicated the environmental effects will look. And that's a good thing, because right now it looks too easy. So I think that if we do more research, we're likely to find out that it's harder and more complicated than we thought, and that the side effects are harder to manage. And that's a healthy outcome that will make it easier to do the management. Of course, the opposite reaction is possible. It's an empirical question how people will actually react to knowledge about this. Another reaction is to say, if these crazy scientists are so concerned about putting CO2 in the atmosphere, they want to think about these things, and that might actually mean we should be more serious about the risks of CO2 in the atmosphere. And think about what he's saying right there, guys. I mean, it's so wild. They're basically go, they're, they're like openly talking about admitting that they're doing this to the population, and that maybe we should wait to make like. How is it? I mean, it speaks to the controlled flow of information that has always been there. Like somebody from the crowd here can't say, well, yeah, they do. Somebody will share the video, somebody will post an article about it, but then you get the yak, the jackals out there that will go, fake news, you're a conspiracy theorist, and then it just drifts to the background. This guy is quite literally admitting to you that they are doing this, and that, yes, it's dangerous, but, you know, because as we research it more, we're even going to find more dangers. But all of that is eclipsed by the fact that we're all going to die tomorrow by climate change. That is the kind of mindset these people have. These are lunatics. Very, very educated lunatics. I mean, it's, these people are from Harvard. By the way, it's not really a moral hazard. It's more like free riding on our grandkids. And by the way, it's not really a moral hazard. It's more like free riding on our grandkids. Right. So it'll hurt the generations later. So let's not worry about it. Numerous air quality studies, uh, including from uh, CARB, California Air Quality Resource Board, have named submicron sized particulates as being particularly harmful for human respiration. Through all the discussions today, uh, I have not heard any mention of this fallout, and has, has this been studied, and also the effects of a highly reactive metal like aluminum on toxifying soils and waters? The question is, what would be the effects of these materials on human health if they came down into the stratosphere, in, in, in particular, uh, small particles and aluminum? Which they are, verifiably. Over and over and over, been proven that this is happening. So, so the, the collaborators of mine working on the aerosol scheme are actually folks from Carnegie Mellon who focused on human health impacts. And while we haven't published it, that was the very first thing we did, was do the order of magnitude calculation in a level pencil and paper but with an expert on human health impacts about whether there could be an issue. And, and for aluminum or other particles, there are a lot of toxicological things that need to get looked at seriously. But if you just- It's one of the leading causes of Alzheimer's. Just take a look at the UK. It is a travesty. It's overwhelming and though we're baffled. We're baffled by it, like everything else. Just thinking about the sheer number of particles and the human health impact of small particles, the answer is, well, we haven't published it. That was the first thing we looked at with some of the leading experts who do uh, epidemiological research on human health impacts, and it's not even close to being an issue. So 10 megatons of aluminum dumped into the, the uh, atmosphere will have no human health impacts. So, so let me be more careful here. We're to separate out the toxicological. So the alumina, we've only begun to research and published nothing. My God. The alumina, we've only begun to research and published nothing. haven't done anything serious on alumina and so there could be something terrible that we'll find tomorrow we haven't looked at it. we haven't done anything serious on and that's while this is being sprayed under the guise that it's so serious of climate change but you know this is what what was the date on this from the video itself we were talking I mean, this was posted 
nine years ago. Clearly, it was a very, very serious concern, immediate problem to hurt people right then that were living under that spring. Clearly not. On Illumina, and so there could be something terrible that we'll find tomorrow we haven't looked at. I think the question is, how do you draw the line between some activity uh, that is allowed and doesn't need global governance and activities that do require global governance? Dr. John Holdren has agreed to serve as Assistant to the President for Science and Technology and Director of the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy. I look forward to his wise counsel in the years ahead. My personal opinion is that we have to keep geoengineering on the table. We have to look at it very carefully because we might get desperate enough to want to use it. Think about that. Think about how absurd that is. So it's, it's one of the whole, you know, benefits outweigh the risk, but they're telling you it's, it's going to be damaging. It's going to hurt people. And then we have to wait until if, if, it, if it's that much of a risk, so we just have to use it anyway. Well, that's not the story we're being told. Sort of like how we can look back at old vaccine conversation where they tell you, yeah, people can die and so on. Now it's like nothing. You're safe no matter what. Because they think that they have to lie to you because you're a child or the reality being that they don't even know the truth and it's actually very damaging. But overall, they're telling you, no, it's okay. It's totally safe, safe and effective. We'll spray in the sun, we'll walk the sun, no big deal. Except we can already tell you that we, they've known the entire time this was a dangerous thing, but benefits outweigh the risks. Quite frankly, I don't trust their analysis or if they've even done it. But the point being, guys, that we're talking about the fact this has been going on for a decade or more, provably. And the idea that this aluminum dust being sprayed over all the places of the United States are actively causing these kind of things to be, at the very least, more likely. Think about how crazy that is. Now, here is the thing that inversionism posted just recently. And it was the other overlap of this, which, by the way, can per- perfectly dovetails with this topic. The idea of using a forest fire as a military weapon. Remember that? We just talked about it. And it says the following conclusions are directly pertinent to the, the request one forest flammability depends. So flamm- forest flammability depends on the amount of dead vegetation, which is being clearly caused, we could argue, by accident by the corporate corporations and the lack thereof or leaving the areas open or the water control on the near ground surface. The moisture content of the ground level material and the weather at the time of burning the flammability can be greatly increased killing all shrub vegetation, selecting optimal weather conditions for burning, and igniting fires in a pre-selected pattern. You know, fires starting in multiple locations at the same time. Sort of just like that. And then, of course, you could argue that the perfect overlay of the aluminum problem could cause this to be even more. Or you could even argue that that was why it got out of control. Maybe they didn't intend for it all to burn. I mean, there's a way. There's so many things to look at and so many things that are completely disregarded because so many infant-minded people out there are terrified to talk about something that they might be deemed conspiracy theory, which I guarantee you is already happening with the title of the show. Oh, here's Ryan still talking about direct and energy weapons. Well, if you're that stupid to not look at what we're saying, you're being willfully ignorant. Because you guys know well, I'm in fact quite arguing, saying quite the opposite, but pointing out what we do know, which is that these things do exist and they are using them and there is a location there. Does it connect to what happened to Maui? I don't know. I don't think there's any evidence of that. You see, they won't hear that when they just go, oh, it's talking about that. Well, some very, well, I'll leave it there. But the point, point here, as I said before, is this goes well beyond this one location. And this is just the one about Alberta, guys. But if you do your follow-up research, you'll find that almost every one of these large fires that they say climate change caused later gets turned out to be mostly arson. Very telling. Danielle Smith says 500 of the 650 wildfires in Alberta were started by humans. 500 out of 650. I mean, we're we're being lied to. 
wholesale lied to. Now, here's the point that I was making in the beginning. This person says, holy hell, now it makes sense why they went after Hawaii. A treaty of annexation was never signed by the king. I'm just going like, man, are we really this uninformed about our own history? Yeah, sadly, we are. This isn't breaking news. I mean, quite frankly, you can look this up on basic websites. I mean, we should have learned this in school. Like, the point is that just because they don't say this was done this way, like, it's very easy to see that there was no official process here. You can look up all sorts of media and, and work from people on the high islands of Hawaii that will tell you exactly that. This was an occupied territory. It was colonialized. It was annexed illegally. Right. This is the very people that are screaming about everything Russia is doing, even though they're lying about what they're doing. These are disingenuous liars. They don't care about any of this stuff. They care about control. And I played you the video from uh, the Juice Media that makes that, you know, in a hilarious way, very terrible to show you that this has always been the case, that they just exploit these places. But what's interesting is that you could argue this is why it all happened. I mean, there was an interesting overlap to the military ideas of whether they might be able to still maintain their occupation. But my point, guys, do you really think they care? Like the idea that somehow they're going to have to manufacture this big to then justify their presence. Do you really think they even think about that? Look, the entire presence is illegal. They know that. They took this place, just like plenty of other locations. So why would we pretend that they give a care at all about whether this would... I mean, the point is that who's going to make them leave? The Hawaiian Islands don't want them there now. So whether this treaty runs out or it was never there, I kind of find like it's just... It is interesting the way that a point pops up in someone's mind and becomes the point and become that you'll find this circulating all over. In fact, people are just basically copying and reposting the same post over and over. And it makes you wonder if it's real at all. But one thing you should take from this is that that's true. It's an illegal occupation like so many other places that we pretend doesn't exist. But let's finish with a couple of important videos that I just want to play out today from Grace. Two of her both both her videos because I really think they deserve your attention. I think she does great work. So what we'll actually do first, well, I think we'll, you know what, just for the interest of time, what I'm going to do is include them for you, and you can watch these for yourself. Let me see, where are we at? Well, let's see, what do you guys think in the chat? Should we play them or not? I'm sure you want me to play them. <laughs> Here's what I'm thinking, let's see. Well, let's just play this first one, I'll decide while it's playing. Friends. On August 8th, 2023, the historic town of Lahaina on the island of Maui, a popular tourist spot, was destroyed by a fire that seemingly came out of nowhere. As of Monday morning, August 14th, the death toll sits at 96. An estimated 2,200 acres have been burned. Over 2,000 buildings have been reduced to ash, and of those buildings, 86% of them were residential homes. The investigation is ongoing, loved ones are still missing, but alongside the rubble and ruin, questions remain. In this video, my goal is to give a voice to Maui residents in their eyewitness accounts, highlight key facts that have been completely buried, provide relevant historical context, and ultimately, share with you what the media won't tell you about the Maui fires. Not so long ago, the band of islands we call Hawaii was a sovereign state known as the Kingdom of Hawaii. Because of its key location in the Pacific Ocean and its fertile ground, Hawaii was historically a prized place for trade. However, the kingdom fell when the United States gobbled it up under the whole notion of manifest destiny. With a little help from the U.S. government, a group of American and European businessmen overthrew the Hawaiian monarchy. You see, the Hawaiian Islands offered a key position for a U.S. military base. 
and would aid in the development of the U.S. as a global superpower. And thus, the final queen of the Kingdom of Hawaii was deposed in 1893. From then on, Hawaii played a key role in the world stage. Just think about it, the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor, which occurred on December 7, 1941, had a significant effect on the United States and was crucial in influencing the government's decision to enter World War II. It was also key in rallying the emotional support for war from U.S. troops and civilians alike. Nearly a century later, there is open discourse on the idea that President Roosevelt either let it happen, as in he had foreknowledge of Pearl Harbor and did nothing, or he caused it to happen, you know? The same conversation we have about George W. Bush. Alas, Americans would not and could not give their consent to war without a reason. They just needed to be given one. Problem, reaction, solution. At 11 a.m. on August 4th, 2023, it was reported by satellites that a handful of small fires had started on Maui around the same time. No cause has officially been given, and this is a key detail that I just want to emphasize. It wasn't just one fire that was started, but several at once. On Tuesday morning, August 8th, Lahaina, once the Kingdom of Hawaii's capital city, began to witness wildfires. Lahaina is a small town located in Maui, and in the Hawaiian language, Lahaina means cruel or merciless sun. Survivors of the fire reported that there were no sirens or warnings when the fire started, only strong winds that brought distant fire into the residential areas within minutes. According to emergency officials, Maui's warning sirens didn't sound as devastating wildfires approached as they should have. On the island of Maui, there are 80 outdoor sirens to alert residents of tsunamis and other natural disasters. But those sirens were totally silent as people burned to death. According to investigators, quote, nobody at the state and nobody at the county attempted to activate those sirens based on our records, end quote. Emergency alert texts were reportedly sent out, but due to the rate at which these fires spread, the towers were down, the power lines were down, and people weren't receiving those alerts on their phones or TVs, all of which contributed to the chaos. The fires were so intense and spread so rapidly that the U.S. Coast Guard saved over 50 individuals after some people fled the fire by jumping into the Pacific Ocean. The fires were still active the following day, and locals reported being barred off from bringing supplies to the affected areas to, to even search for their loved ones and render aid. And this is another weird, strange detail. The incident commander of the 2017 Las Vegas country music mass shooting, one of the biggest cover-ups in U.S. history, just happens to be Maui's police chief, John Pelletier, who said the following about the fires. We find these, you know, our family and our friends. The remains we're finding is through a fire that melted metal. We know we've got to go quick. But well, we gotta do it right. So when we pick up the remains and they fall apart, and so when you have 200 people running through the scene yesterday, and some of you, that's what you're stepping on. I don't know how much more you want me to describe it. Hawaii Governor Josh Green said the town looked like a bomb had been dropped and he wasted no time blaming the fires on climate change. Of course, mainstream media ran with this narrative and has blamed humans for living and vacationing in Maui for the wildfires. Which brings us into a whole other conversation entirely. 
Who is actually responsible for the wildfires in Maui? According to some locals, bad government and poor land management is to blame. As dry, non-native, invasive grasses weren't properly cleared in previous years, which served as perfect tender under the right conditions, strong winds, and drought. And I want you to remember what we talked about earlier. Satellites picked up all these fires across the island igniting around the same time, same day, the morning of August 4th. It wasn't just one fire. It was multiple fires across Maui. And I'm not trying to interject my opinion when I'm just giving you the facts, but that in particular sticks out to me, and I find it weird. So, of course, there's already a wrongful death lawsuit brewing, and, quote, legal teams from Watskara, Singleton, Schreiber, and France law group firms have all independently reached the conclusion that Hawaiian Electric's compromised infrastructure served as the ignition source for the inferno, end quote. And I just want to point out that according to the World Economic Forum in an article that they published in 2018, Hawaii plans to be the first U.S. state to run entirely on clean energy, with clean energy being defined as solar, wind, biomass, and geothermal green power. And after someone sent me that article, I was reading up on how our current power grid will stand up to the clean energy goals of the future. And basically, the corporations are lobbying for our entire power grid to be replaced. So if you fault Hawaiian Electric, sue them for all their worth, put them out of business, who replaces them? Will it be whoever is going to bring forth the goals of Agenda 2030 in the World Economic Forum? So attorneys are blaming the electric company, probably because the electric company has the deepest pocket. The governor is blaming climate change, and other people are blaming land mismanagement, while others are whispering about directed energy weapons. And I know I never talk about directed energy weapons, and you all know this, not because I deny their existence, but it's like conspiracy quicksand over here. It's too easy for people to dismiss because fires can be attributed to many things. But there's just this glaring coincidence one cannot overlook for this particular fire. AFRL's Directed Energy Directorate is the Department of the Air Force Center of Expertise for Directed Energy and Optical Technologies. They specialize in directed energy weapons that harness the power of the electromagnetic spectrum to enable airmen to effectively and affordably strike critical targets, all at the speed of light. According to their website, the AFRL Directed Energy Directoriate operates two major telescope sites that are used to advance SSA technologies. One of these sites is located on the Kirkland Air Force Base in New Mexico, and the other site is located on... You'll never guess it. The other site is located on Maui. The Maui site is called the Air Force Maui Optical and Supercomputing Site. So let's go down the list. A little logical little assessment here. Do direct energy weapons exist that can cause wildfires? According to U.S. government websites, yes. Does the U.S. government have the ability to use those resources? According to the U.S. government website, yes. If the U.S. government has this tool, does it mean other countries have this tool? And could they use it on the U.S.? Theoretically, yes. Would wildfires sparked by direct energy weapons serve their Hegelian dialectic of problem-reaction-solution, you know, policy changes and narrative shifts and sustainable development goals and whatnot. Sure. Can we prove that they used a directed energy weapon and that it was the U.S. government who used it? 
Me personally, I'm going to say not at this moment. No, we can't prove it. But what I will say is that if I were on the ground in Maui and I had a basic understanding of local politics and procedures and I decided to dig deeper on this story, I would probably want to know who fled the wildfires before anyone else, who from government or high society was evacuated before the traffic jams and all the chaos started. And I would also want to watch who benefits from the destruction. The average residential home in Maui is just at the median price of $1.2 million. Can insurance companies afford to rebuild thousands of homes in this area? Can families who didn't have homeowners insurance afford to rebuild their homes and businesses? With the rapid inflation we've experienced over the past couple years, the cost of building has increased substantially. What will insurance cover? Because I'm imagining a scenario where residents are left with land and no means to rebuild, nowhere to live in the interim, and yeah, that would make it hard to say no to offers on your property. You know, there, there have been reports of looting and civil unrest. I mean, I've, I saw, you know, a few kind of rough-looking people when I was down here, but, I mean, nothing happened, but it's, it, it, it might be a good idea to, to stay out of here for the time being. Um, and you can see over there, you know, there was multi-million dollar beachfront houses were lost. Uh, you know, I mean, I know every, every house on Maui nowadays is almost every house is going to be over a million bucks. But all of my neighbors and I are interested in what the what the news actually is because we don't have access to the internet, not cellular, not cable internet. We don't have a TV. We we do have the radio, but for whatever reason the radio out here continues to just mainly play music. I've, I've heard very, very few broadcasts of news, and I don't know if that's just my timing of listening to it, but uh, there's, there's really been very little information. I live on Maui. The media is lying and or covering up the extent of the damage and the death count. I personally know people that are telling me that death and destruction is way worse than we're being told. I am witnessing the cover-up by the media firsthand. So my final question that the media would never ask is, are we witnessing a land grab at fire sale prices in the future? What do you think, Internet friends? You know, I always look forward to reading your comments. Thank you so much for watching, subscribing, supporting my channel on Patreon, and buying my book. Friends, in part one of my What the Media Won't Tell You About the Maui Fire series, we covered the history of the sovereign kingdom of Hawaii and how the former capital city of that kingdom was ravaged by devastating fires on August 8, 2023. While the governor of Hawaii blamed the fires on climate change, and President Biden couldn't even be bothered to provide a comment on the tragedy. Lahaina locals insist there's more to this story than what's being reported by the media. In this video, it's my goal to cover all the underreported and unreported details. Here's what the media won't tell you about the Maui fires, part two. Will you come talk about the Hawaii response, Mr. President? 
On August 8th, the historic town of Lahaina on the island of Maui, a popular tourist spot, was destroyed by a fire that seemingly came out of nowhere, accompanied by high-speed winds which spread fire at a rapid rate, making evacuations difficult, if not impossible, leaving some locals to jump into the Pacific Ocean to escape the flames. As of today, August 16th, the death toll sits at 106 individuals. What they're calling wildfires started early in the morning and many have reported that school was canceled, leaving children at home by themselves while parents went to work. I hope you understand I didn't want to say that in my first video because it's just so horrible. But for the search and rescue over the last week, it's been of high concern, of course, to the parents whose children are still missing. And there's been talk that the real numbers are being suppressed. Like I said in the previous video, even though Hawaii's 400 sirens make up what the state calls the biggest integrated outdoor all-hazard public safety warning system in the world, on the day of the fire, no sirens went off at all, alerting civilians to the danger. And to make matters worse, a state official held back on letting residents use water to protect their property from the fires. The fight over water went on for most of the day, and the water didn't arrive until it was too late. Quote, Firefighters describe the wind-driven fires bearing down on Lahaina as being like a blowtorch. 25 to 30 firefighters were staring down at the flames as their hydrants went dry, end quote. So we've got no warning sirens that went off, power lines and internet that were down so people couldn't get warning alerts on their cell phones or televisions. And when the fire claimed Lahaina, people couldn't even turn on the water hose because there was no water. The fire hydrants were dry. Again, this strikes me as very odd, very weird, and obviously horrible. Because fires across Maui all popped up around the same time, just like they did with the Canadian wildfires early this year. And every system they had in place to protect and warn the people, they all failed. Maui Police Chief John Pelletier, who was the incident officer during the 2017 Las Vegas shooting, one of the biggest cover-ups in American history, estimated the number of missing people at approximately a thousand, though he cautioned that, honestly, we don't know. No comment. We'll call you right now, guys. No comment? Yeah. Uh, I'm talking to the chief, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Why doesn't you want to speak to the people? Only to a camera. Why are you shaking your head, sir? You don't want to answer, huh? Okay. We'll talk to you another time, guys. Yeah, yeah. he won't talk Thank to you. us another time. That's the thing. It's a very cowardly move. Shocking. In response to the devastation, President Biden wrote on Twitter on August 14th, quote, We're laser-focused on getting aid to survivors, including critical needs assistance, a one-time $700 payment per household, offering relief during an unimaginably difficult time, end quote. Laser-focused, huh? Reported in Newsweek, quote, Political opponents and commentators described the sum as insulting and compared it with the more than $113 billion worth of aid the U.S. has sent to Ukraine as it defends itself against an ongoing Russian invasion. On Monday, the government announced it was sending $200 million in defensive capabilities. End quote. They've sent hundreds of billions of dollars in aid throughout the year to, to Ukraine, but to our own citizens? $700 per household after they've lost everything? This is footage earlier at Napili Park. I didn't feel safe uh, speaking freely about the situation while I was there, but the police are issuing permission slips for residents to freely come and go um, to their homes 
to other parts of the island. Going to walk along the line so you can see there are thousands of people here at this park. There were two separate locations where uh, they, they told people to come get these permission slips which would allow them to leave their houses, travel to other parts of the island that were unaffected, and return. Now, one very important thing to note with all of this is many of these people, including us, live approximately 20 minutes away from the fire, and we are very, very far away from any structure or any, uh, you know, any building, car, anything like that that leave to eat. Then you can. There is one road in and one road out of Lahaina, and our own government is blocking aid to the victims of this fire. So those good Samaritans who want to help are having to travel by water to distribute aid. People doing everything that they can. I'm KITV Force Jeremy Lee coming up. The effort here in Kihei improvised in which people have just shown up to make sure that goods are ferried over from Kihei over to Lahaina. We wondered out loud in part one of this video if this would be a land grab. You know, never let a good crisis go to waste. And unfortunately, vultures are circling Lahaina with the majority of the damaged structures being residential. Developers and investors are already contacting victims of the fire to make an offer on their land. We speculated that insurance companies wouldn't be able to insure the homes and businesses because of rapid inflation, and the average cost of a home in Maui being $1.2 The estimated devastation is $3.2 in insurance coverage. Many residents didn't have homeowner's insurance because the homes were older, and according to some locals, a lot of the land ownership wasn't documented because it's native sacred land. So one can assume the insurance payouts, if they ever do happen, will be a total mess. Hawaiian Electric is a 100-year-old utility company that serves 95% of Hawaii. And the company is now being sued by a group of people because it's believed that its down power lines caused the deadly Lahaina fire. On August 15th, shares of Hawaiian Electric stock fell 31% because investors are worried about the company's possible liabilities after the wildfires in Maui. It's looking like they'll take the brunt of the blame for all of this. And like we said in the last video, will Hawaiian Electric be replaced to facilitate a clean energy system for a new smart city, like the World Economic Forum predicted back in 2018? Only time will tell. All of the other stories about how fires started, you know, land mismanagement and government oversight, rumors of explosions, rumors of directed energy weapons have all been you know, quote-unquote, debunked by fact-checkers on social media websites. Before anything has ever been investigated to control whatever narrative they've got going on here. I even got censored last night on Instagram for talking about these theories and facts, even though I didn't endorse them directly. Apparently, you can't even read from government websites and say the military's AFRL's Directed Energy Directorate, which specializes in DEWs. As it says directly on their website, very plainly right up front here, is stationed right on Maui. Apparently, you can't say that the Maui site is called the Air Force Maui Optical Supercomputing Site. 
It's just not allowed. You also apparently can't say that in the aftermath of a wildfire when all the news has died down. The majority of insurance investigations say that humans are to blame for these wildfires, not lightning or climate change, but arson or accident. And that's what the media won't tell you about the Maui fires. What do you think, internet friends? You know, I always look forward to reading your comments. Thank you so much for watching, for subscribing, for supporting my channel on Patreon, and for buying my book, The Deep State Encyclopedia. Very well done. I really hope you will take the time to check out her. Here's, here's her Twitter page. There's her link. Support her. She's doing great work. And I really think she deserves that support because she does really great videos like that. They get a lot of reach, and I think it's really important. And the overlap of all of those things are just incredible. There's a thousand points to be made there, most of which we covered in previous shows. Obviously, there's something wrong. I mean, it's just staggeringly obvious there's something going on here. That's my opinion. But there's a lot of unanswered questions, and I think we need to continue to focus on that. Now, unfortunately, I mentioned the chat already. I hate to do this again. I did this the other day. I'm dealing with some personal stuff, and I was planning on doing another show today afterward, and I just am not going to be able to get to it. So I apologize, guys. And I'm going to make sure the first thing I do, whether there's more Maui information tomorrow or not, is do this show as early as possible tomorrow. All the other stuff I talked about, the Azov COVID stuff and everything else, and uh, make sure I get that done early. And that'll be out for you tomorrow. Um, in general, I, I think a lot of that information might be a little bit outdated, at least as, as it pertains to how on the nose we tend to be for T-Lab. And at least, I mean, in the moment, like covering the, today's information. So it might be a little bit of older information, but we will get to it. So thank you for tuning in. In general, I definitely have just, I think this is just a very clear situation of, of whether it was caused or not, that now we can see, or rather deliberate, I should say, or not. Now we can see clear action being taken for the benefit of the government, the benefit of the, the kind of things they've always been trying to accomplish at the expense of the people here, going as far back as you want to look to the original colonialization to right to this very moment. Speak to the people of Maui, speak to the people of the Hawaiian Islands, and they will be the first to tell you that they have been taken advantage of, that they are being exploited. And it goes all the way back to the beginning, as we said, the protests that were held trying to let the world know that we're being illegally annexed. Nobody cared. Nobody said a word. And even today, if they did, they would frame it as some kind of freedom revolution. And, you know, it's just all about narrative. Think about that as they talk about what's going on with this story today. And as we see what happens next and think of the things we mentioned about what might happen next, whether these things play a factor in meeting their goals for 2030 and ask yourself what that might mean. And again, give Grace a shout out. Make sure you see, check her videos out on her platforms and support her because she's doing great work. So thank you. Oh, oh, one last thing. Thank you for doom for saying this to me. <laughs> of course, now this makes it even more ridiculous. So the only reason I mentioned that point about the steel is because somebody that reached out to me seeming very, very confident what they were saying, which is a side point. On me, I should have looked into it, but it wasn't something I felt was immediately relevant. It was a side point, but that my point was I mentioned steel versus aluminum, and they were done. Oh, that's not correct. And aluminum, but Doom corrects them, and it turns out that aluminum melts at a lower temperature than steel, both of which I argue are above what we were seeing there temperature-wise. But in any case, fires can burn dramatically different based on different chemicals that they burn past. So the point is, question everything, guys, but ultimately I wanted to correct that. Thank you, Doom, for shouting that out. And he says, engine blocks are made predominantly from aluminum. You know, so the point is that what we could have seen in the streets might have been aluminum, but the point is overall, it's unusual, to say the least, to see that kind of high temperature, and we should ask why, along with all the other obvious problems that we see. So thank you for tuning in today, guys. Thank you for your support. Uh, actually, one last thing in general, I will be putting out that campaign I was talking about, but 
it just didn't seem right to put out a campaign about saving T-Lab and donations when what was going on in Maui. All of your support should be going towards people that need help over there. And not in the sense of people that are grifting and trying to benefit, but, you know, find ways to get it directly in the hands of people that need help. That's what's important. But I will be putting that out once we get past the situation. So thank you for your support. T-Lab needs your support as well and all the different platforms we use because we're going to continue to talk about this and break the news as best we can. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant.